0: Welcome back to the All Things Basketball Podcast. Everybody, this is episode 50, episode 50, 50 episodes as of right now. I can't believe I've already done this many. Um, I look back and I'm just like, I can't even believe I've done 49 other episodes. Um, It's been an awesome ride. It's been cool. It's been fun. Uh, But this episode is going to be about uh, last night's games. I watched uh, Memphis Grizzlies uh, versus the Oklahoma City Thunder, which was a really... Uh, it was a fun game, but it, it, it went as expected, but it was a fun game to watch. Also, I watched uh, same night, which is last night. It was Boston Celtics versus the Phoenix Suns. That was a little bit of a bummer, um, and I actually watched it all the way through. But yeah, that's what's going to be on this episode. So without any further delay, let's get right into it. So... Memphis versus OKC, the first game of the two that I watched last night. Uh, This was a fun game, uh, but I want to start this off by, you know, giving you the lineups, right? That's pretty much how I want to start this off, uh, especially for for the second game as well. Um, But yeah, OKC starters in this game, right? This is Memphis versus OKC. So OKC starters, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Josh Giddy, uh, Alexei Pokusevsky, Jalen Williams, and Jeremiah Robinson Earl, uh, who they name him JRE for short, but the only JRE I know is the Joe Rogan experience, (laughs) you know what I mean? So, uh, but yeah, that's what reminded me when they were calling him JRE, but anyways, uh, the Memphis starters, right, John Morant, John Conchar, uh, Dylan Brooks, Triple J, obviously that's Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, and Steven Adams, Right. Um, So right away, you know, I'm thinking to myself, okay. obviously uh, for the Memphis Grizzlies uh, out tonight is no Desmond Bain. Right. And, you know, I'm watching this uh, from the Memphis Grizzlies broadcast on League Pass because uh, when I'm watching a team on League Pass, this is just my advice to you guys. If you want to watch a specific team, I highly recommend if you do have League Pass to watch it. On the stream of the team that you're that you're wanting to watch. Why? Because you get a lot of gems, right? These guys, these the broadcast team for, for their own team, uh, obviously, they're homers, right? Meaning they are just obviously biased towards their team. Um, but they have all these stats ready, right? Like these, these biased stats that they prepare for their own team right like they know all the all the nice little stats all the all the background information because they you know these guys they travel with the team or whatever the case is right they're just around these guys all the time so they know uh the ins and outs right like why the coach is doing this why why a player's sitting out today and things like that right you just get a lot of gems a lot of good info when you're watching the game for on the stream of the team you want to watch, so that's just my my little advice uh, for anyone out there that has NBA league pass. But anyways, so no Danny Green, no Desmond Bain, right? For the most part, those are like the big names that are out for the Memphis Grizzlies. For the OKC Thunder, uh, no Lou Dort, obviously still no Chet Holmgren, um, you know, no Usman Uh, But you know, for the most part, it's really no Lou Dort, right? Because Chet Holmgren, we know he's pretty much probably going to be out the whole year. Um, so no Lou Dort is a big hit to them because, you know, he's a tough guy. He can score, you know, he plays defense, high energy guy, you know, very important to this team's success. Um, but yeah, you know, so I'm looking at obviously a couple of teams missing, you know, a key guy on their roster, right? Especially Desmond Bain for these Memphis Grizzlies. And while I'm watching this game, I'm looking at Danny Green as part of the broadcast, right? Like he has done some of these games. I'm pretty sure he's done a couple like, like, a lot of the home games or or whatever games he's doing for the Memphis Grizzlies, I'm sure I've seen him a couple more times before uh, as like an analyst, right? And, you know, once this guy gets back on this roster uh, from his recovery, uh, he's just going to add another element, right? Just a 3 and D guy, right? The defense isn't, you know, like, like it used to be for Danny Green, but he's out there. You know what I'm saying? He's he's going to be a solid 3 and D experienced player, right? Championship player, knows how to win games. He's very streaky, hasn't been good for a long time. Um, You know, consistency, just a problem with Danny Green. But this isn't about Danny Green, right? This is about the game I watched. So I'm looking at this game, right? And I'm looking through the box score, right? So Ja Morant, 8 for 16 from the field, 2 for 3 from the three-point line, which is something you definitely want to see from Ja. 8 for 10 from the free throw line, 80%, right? So you know, just solid, right? And then we get to the to the raw numbers, right? 26 points, 2 steals, 11 assists, 13 rebounds for John Moran. Just, you know, triple-double. This is what he is. This is what he does. Exciting. He's going to scare you. He's going to impress you. He's going to just do things that just, just blow your mind, right? Uh, just night in and night out. But I do want to get into this, right? Right away... The first two points of the game is John Morant scoring, right? Nice little acrobatic layup, but he misses it, right? And then he just quickly jumps right back up and beats everyone to the putback tip-in, right? That Just like, it, it's just insane, the athleticism that this guy has. And you can talk about that forever with John Morant, but, you know, it, he's just so exciting, just so special, so different. Um, you know, you, you really root for a player like him, um, you know, Uh, But throughout the game and just in general, you know, whenever I watch John Morant play, I hold my breath every single time that he attacks the basket. You know, I heard uh, Bill Simmons on a recent podcast on The Ringer or on the Bill Simmons podcast uh, talk about kind of the same thing, right? How there should be more people in his ear showing him Derrick Rose plays and explaining to him that he just can't play like this all the time, right? That, it's, it's a, it was along those lines of what Bill Simmons was saying. And honestly, most people would probably be like, man, you know, you're jinxing him by bringing that up. But if you're a Grizzlies fan, you know, he's the guy that puts you over the top, right? So if I was a Grizzlies fan, I would feel overprotective of John Morant in that sense, right? Like, I don't know how you Grizzlies fans haven't died of a heart attack right from how often this guy attacks the rim like how often he tries to just finish over multiple defenders like the whole team could be down low and he is just trying to find cracks and little windows to where he can come through and just act just these crazy acrobatic layups taking contact or trying to dunk on people a lot of the times it's really unnecessary to me you know, and, and it's scary. You know, is it awesome to watch when he converts on these points? Yeah. You know, is it is is it cool? You know, if, if you know he landed safe and he's okay and you see him do these crazy things, of course, you know, that's what sells tickets. That's what makes him such a special player. That's what makes John Morant, John Morant, right? That's what holds him at such a high level compared to the other guys his age. Um, you know, he's probably the most exciting player to watch. And the most important thing about this kind of player is He's he's a big team player, right? Super unselfish. But the knock on jaw so far has been the lack of shooting ability from three, right? Now, obviously, in this game, he shot two for three from three. uh, So that's 66% from three, which is high. Um, You know, eight for 16 from the field, which is awesome. Eight for 10 from the free throw line, like I talked about earlier. But, um, you know, he's definitely improved his three-point percentage. I'm looking at 37%, right? Which is slightly above league average, Right, but it's that same level, like De'Aaron Fox, where it's like, yeah, you know, they're knocking down the open threes, you know, once in a while now. But as an opposing team, it's still your game plan against guys like them, right? Against a guy like De'Aaron Fox or or a guy like uh, John Morant, you know, just let them shoot as often as they want, right? And also, I don't know if people mention this often enough. Not really reliable at the free throw line either, right? Like for a career, 74% right now. Right, I think that was right before this game ended, right? It was like 74% before the game ended for his career, uh, which is a sketchy free throw percentage, right? That always makes you bite your nails if those guys are at the free throw line in a crucial point of a close game, right? Because 74% isn't completely terrible, uh, but it's definitely not comfortable to watch, right? Like you don't feel great about a 74% free throw shooter going to the line in a key part of the game, right? Um, And when you put a guy with that percentage In a higher pressure free throw situation, it's almost safe to assume they're probably going to split them, right? Now, that might not make sense mathematically, right? Because that would assume that that would be 50%. But what I'm saying is someone that's kind of like a a streaky free throw shooter, like kind of iffy, like a low 70% shooter. Yeah, you know, when the pressure's on, that 74% probably doesn't look, you know, I, I mean, they probably decline a little more at the line because they know they're not a great free throw shooter and so the confidence is kind of a question in their own head when they're shooting them. Um but you know obviously in this game like I said earlier when I was reading out the stats 8 for 10 from the free throw line, right? 80%. So if he could get to just 80% free throw shooting for a career, right? Like an average. It wouldn't be a massive jump from 74%, but it would do wonders for his game, right? Like 80% is solid you know, but hovering in the low seventies, the mid seventies, it's not reliable. You know, it's not something you want to hang your hat on right now in this game, side note about Josh Giddy, right? Because obviously we're watching OKC as well. Haven't watched a ton of OKC this year, but I have been slowly picking up more of their games recently. Right. So Josh Giddy is still not anywhere near the confidence level that I want out of him in terms of shooting. Um, because even when he pump fakes from the three point line, I don't even know why guys are jumping. Like, when he pumps at the three-point line, guys are still jumping. And I'm just like, why? You know, he, I mean, he's not even looking up at the rim when he's pump faking. He's, as soon as he catches the ball, like, as soon as he receives a pass, he's immediately looking to put the ball down. Like, he's not even looking at the rim, right, during his pumps. Um, And, you know, as limited as he is as a shooter, though, right now, he's still so productive, that you just know Josh Giddy is a special player, right? Not athletic, not fast, but so fundamentally sound. You see OKC always letting him be the inbound passer, right? They trust him because he can really make great passes. Just super talented playmaker, plays a beautiful brand of basketball. Once he gets that shot to be respectable and he builds that confidence to shoot the ball, he's going to be a problem, you know, because... He's already a problem, right, in a sense, in the sense where his basketball IQ is really high and he makes the right passes time and time again, right? Like, he makes the right plays. A couple of mistakes here and there, but, guys, he's so young, uh, you know? So, just one of those players, you know? And, and I got to say this, too. Um, you know, in terms of talking about backcourts in the league, right, like like a 1-2 and two guard, not a lot is talked about, uh, about that backcourt, right? Like, Shea Gilgis-Alexander... And uh, Josh Giddy, right? Like, that's an awesome backcourt, right? Not like a superstar backcourt right now, right? Because they're still young. But you see Shea Gilgis-Alexander, obviously, in the conversation for most improved player, right? So that's you know a dropping 30 a game type thing right like he's just balling this year and you know you have Josh Giddy who's an amazing playmaker as well the passing from those two guys is awesome to watch right and, and so I'm surprised uh but it's also probably not that surprising I guess because it's OKC okay, you know what i mean so i guess that is also a factor right like if you don't have league pass You're not going to watch this team play uh, pretty much. So, you know, I watched in the third quarter, I watched uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. get a technical foul for bouncing the ball, right? Like he got a little bit upset about a foul call. I think it was about a foul call uh, or a defensive three second. I'm not even sure exactly what the call was. I don't remember at this point. Um, But yeah, like I think it's like there's like a rule that if you bounce the ball, Right? like in frustration, like you throw it on the floor, like you bounce it on the ground, and it goes above your head or something like that. I think they can call a tech on you for that. Um, but this was like, you know, he he bounced it, but it wasn't like he slammed it down on the ground so hard. Um, and he got called for a tech for that, you know, and he was so upset about it. And listen, I understand, you know, don't touch the refs. Don't curse at the refs. You know, don't don't get in, a, in an exchange with them. But... You know, him bouncing the ball down, like, it, it wasn't even that serious. You know, I even rewinded it just to see exactly what it looked like when he bounced it. And my fiance was like, wait, why did they, like, what? what's the problem? And I'm like, well, you know, I think there's a rule that if you bounce it and it goes, like, above your head, they can technically call a technical foul on you. Um, but I asked her, I was like, did that really look like something that's, like, that serious for a ref to call? And she was like, no. You know, that, that, that was just something I kind of wanted to point out. I wrote it on my notes to kind of bring it up on the pod. You know, the refs sometimes, they just call too much stuff, man. Like, there's text for everything these days. It's exhausting. It's really annoying to watch as a fan because you're just giving free throws to a team, right? Like, it's like, come on, guy. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing here? You know what I mean? There's text for everything now. Um, You know, but the Grizzlies just outclassed the Thunder in every way. You know, they were in control all game. Uh, You know, it's important to see that they take this game seriously. And win it, though, even if they're playing OKC because of how tight of a race this season has been. I mean, you lose one game and you drop to, like, the play-in games, right? Like, every single game matters this year. And that's refreshing to watch. Like, as an NBA fan, you watch these games on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, middle of the season— the race is so tight, the talent is so spread out that every game is competitive, every game matters. You know, there's skill everywhere. You know what I'm saying? You're obviously blowouts are a part of the game. It's it's a long season. You know, guys are coming back from back to backs. You're gonna see some blowouts here and there, but the skill is there, night in and night out. Um, you know, you can tell that teams really wanna play It's it's a different NBA that we're watching nowadays, you know, especially both conferences. Right. Just awesome to watch. Um, But yeah, you know, that's all I wanted to talk about that. Really, Um, I guess we could show some love here real quick. Just kind of read, you know, another player here that balled out, Brandon Clark. You know, I think this was his uh, I think it was his game back, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Uh, eight for 10 from the field, you know, uh, one for one from the free throw line. You know, nothing crazy there. But, you know, eight rebounds here. You know, so solid game from him. I mean, this team is so deep. And Tyus Jones, who has an ugly shot, right? I don't really like his wind-up shot. It looks weird. Um, But, you know, struggled, right? Struggled. But, you know, he's getting, let's look at the other side of the statue. You know, five assists, two steals. It's like, you know, everyone does something on this team. You know, Zaire Williams, actually, I think was the guy that was back this game. I'm sorry that I'm not forgetting. I'm sorry that I'm not remembering that. Um, I'm just kind of doing this just fresh, you know, the next day as I'm recording this. So, you know, Zaire Williams struggled for sure, Um, you know, this game two for nine from the field. I know I said I was going to show love, but I'm kind of just reading off these stats. And look, this guy that I thought was going to be a sleeper pick, uh, David Roddy. Right? Um, Colorado State, uh, college basketball player. Uh, He's a rookie this season. Three for five from the field. He's shot ready. Two for four from the three point line. Not a lot of minutes, right? 15 minutes. Kind of a guy that's really earning his minutes, but man, this guy, the catch and shoot opportunities, the energy when he attacks the basket, he's an athlete, he's strong, he's like a mini Zion in a, in a way, like not, not like crazy athleticism like Zion or strong power like Zion, but he's got like that bigger body for his height type of thing, right? Like he if you haven't watched David Roddy and you have league pass, go back or, or just go on YouTube, right? And, and watch some David Roddy highlights. This guy's a tank, you know he's very interesting to watch. Santi Aldama. Santi Aldama had a really had a really solid game. You know, fourteen points, three assists, a steal. You know, five rebounds. He was five for eight from the field, two for four from three. This is a team that gets contribution from everyone. You know, Jaron Jackson Jr. Two for four from the three, five for nine from the field. He had twelve points, two steals, five blocks. This game five. Blocks from Jaron Jackson Jr., man. You know, you have Steven Adams doing Steven Adams things. Uh, you know, John Conchar kind of struggled, but he's giving you... Man, like, you're looking at these stats. Two steals, and assist, four rebounds. You know, three for nine from the field and 0 oh for four from three. But, you know, seven points, right? A plus 11. I mean, like, these are the reasons that this team has such uh, a good potential to do some to to make some big noise in the playoffs, right? Because they're just so deep, you know. Dylan Brooks nine for nineteen from the field, five for twelve from three, you know. Just two assists, three steals, a block. It's I'm sorry, two assists, a steal, and a block. I mean, like you know, twenty four points from him. Like you you're just and Desmond Bain didn't even play. Danny Green, like I said, hasn't played. This team is just. You know, man, it's this is a special team here, man. You know, for any Memphis Grizzlies fans listening to this episode, you guys have a beautiful team to watch. Awesome. The age is perfect. These guys are all in that same timeline. Um, You know, it's just all so perfectly fit. You guys have a really good shot to come out of the West you know, um, definitely, definitely happy to see a team like the Memphis Grizzlies be as relevant as they are, Uh, but I want to move into the next game, uh, because I don't want this pod to run too long, and this game, mm, man, Uh, Boston Celtics versus the Phoenix Suns, blowout city, I watched the Suns play the Mavs, like a couple nights ago too, and they also got blown out by the Mavs, but this game, Jesus, man, I... uh. Let me just start with, you know, what you're thinking at the beginning of this game. I don't want to jump to that. Uh, So Sun Celtics, right? It's a game in a battle of the best of the East, the best of the West in terms of seeding. Uh, You know, two number one seeds going at it in a potential, right, quote unquote, potential NBA finals matchup right? CP3 finally back in the lineup after missing 14 games, but definitely looked like it was his first game in a while. Uh, You know, looking to get his feet wet, get back into the groove. You know, he made some great passes, had some good moments, but definitely looked slow-footed, not trying to do too much, lots of walking, lots of patience, not a lot of defense, but, you know, concern. If you're a Suns fan, you gotta think, like, how much does CP3 have left in the tank? Now, this is a guy that Very efficient player, uh, shot maker, shot creator, uh, an elite playmaker, elite floor leader, you know, but 37-year-old point guard, you know, he's seen a ton of basketball. And while he's still a top-tier point guard in the NBA, in terms of his ability, right, maybe not production in terms of like elite production, like crazy, crazy, crazy numbers, um, but elite in terms of what he can do, ...for a team, right, to win games, right, just off his IQ and playmaking ability alone, but the decline has been visible, right, and I don't want to jump to conclusions because, you know, it's it's obviously his first game in 14 games, uh, but, you know, it's it's interesting to see, you know, how how much he really just paces himself now, you know, kind of dealing with that, you know, and, and you see 37-year-old point guards, they don't age well, you know, like the, when you're a point guard in the NBA... If you're not like just some elite catch and shooter, right? Like like maybe even like a Steph Curry. Steph Curry is going to probably age better than than most point guards can age because his shooting, his level, he can always just be a catch and shooter, right? If he's like, I don't know, 40 years old, right? He can always be just one of the most elite shooters in the league no matter what um, versus CP3, he's a good shooter, but he's more of a, you know, a playmaker, a distributor, and and Steph makes plays, you know, very good passer, amazing ball handling, Um, but, you know, just different styles, right, different styles, Um, but, you know, the explosion just isn't there anymore, right, and it's really pick and choosy, right, which is something he has to master throughout the season in order to make it to the part of the year that matters most, right, for Chris Paul, which is the playoffs, right, but in this game, there's no Al Horford, there's no Rob Williams. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, you know, no Al Horford, no Rob Williams. So we're thinking, okay, this is Grant Williams. You're thinking, okay, this has to be a game where DeAndre Ayton just eats, right? Like, I mean, that's, that's what I would expect, you know, but instead we get, and let me read you this, right? So it's obviously it's Blake Griffin at center, right? Grant Williams at the four. So you're thinking, DeAndre Ayton better eat this game. And the stat line, man, four for seven from the field. You know, just seven field goal attempts, right? Uh, seven rebounds, eight points. It was like this is your game. Like this is this is where you do, like this is your this is where you eat. What? What is going on, right? Like, why why is, even if they're, this is a blowout game, but even if it is a blowout game, why isn't DeAndre Ayton eating? What? I don't understand that, right? And this was a beatdown on the Suns. You know, having recently watched, like I said, the Mavs-Suns game, which was also a beatdown, it left a bad impression on me about this Suns team. Even if they are number one in the West, the Mavs destroyed the Suns. Without Chris Paul, of course, But it was never a contest. And then there I was last night watching the Suns getting destroyed again, this time by the Celtics. No Robert Williams or Al Horford. And I've noticed after watching these Suns for the last couple seasons, this isn't exactly a team that shows life when they're down big, right? Like when they're down, it's basically over for them for the most part. Like if I'm a coach for an opposing team, Part of my game plan is going to be, hey, let's try to get ahead early, right? Let's take the life out of this team early on because it seems to be a weakness of theirs, right? They seem to be the kind of team that just chalks it up, like once there's just a mountain to climb, right? It's funny to watch this ESPN halftime show, which is with Malika Andrews, uh, Shanae Ogumake, and Richard Jefferson, right? Because Richard Jefferson always says what's on his mind, and he just keeps it real all the time, right? At halftime, he was talking about, oh, this game is over, and there's nothing the Suns can do to come back, which isn't necessarily true, because a 20-point deficit these days you know, it can be erased, right, because there's so many more possessions, the pace of the game is crazy, but essentially, the Suns haven't shown life when they're down like this, right, and if you're down this big against a team of the Celtics caliber, right, the Celtics top team in defense and offense, you likely won't come back, right, let alone win the game, right, so this third quarter that I'm watching, right, the Celtics are up by 32, right, they went up even by 40, right, so, This is the biggest deficit for the Suns. That's what I saw on the graphic. And you know, for a team that has the best record in the Western Conference, watching them get blown out again is so uncharacteristic of a team that you normally would see as a number one seed. And that's not a good sign. You know, like this Suns team is good when they're up, but when it's a close or or when it's a close game, but when they're quickly, like when they're down, they look so out of it. When they're playing from behind, it's crazy. It's crazy. You know, and when you see that there's no Al Horford, like I said, like, you expect DeAndre Ayton to do something about it, right? And, and then you start to think, when you see these performances by DeAndre Ayton, which happen sometimes, you think to yourself, you know, no wonder the Suns were hesitant to pay this guy. Because it's like, okay, you want the max, but this is what you give us? On nights where you have the advantage in this mismatch opportunity? I've never really been a fan of DeAndre Ayton and he's been good this season so I don't want to take away from that but he does have these moments where you wonder about him like like what exactly what exactly is he is in his mental right like what is he what's his mentality like why isn't his approach like oh Blake Griffin yeah give me that give me the ball I'm going to eat tonight like oh oh uh, uh Grant Williams yeah l- let me let me get this ball you know I don't I don't understand You know, Um, but when you're playing against the Celtics, I'm just, this is just now talking about the Celtics. No passing lanes are safe against this team. That much is true. The more I watch the Celtics, the more I'm inclined to swap my pick for a team to win it all, right? Like to pick the Celtics to win the title. After watching basketball over the years, you can really see what a championship team looks like, right? And the way that this team No longer takes their foot off the gas. Never stops showing effort. These guys were up 40. Same thing that I saw against the Hornets when they were blowing out the Hornets. They're up 30. They're up 40. Whatever the number. And they're fighting for 50-50 balls. The bench is celebrating. Guys are connected. Um, After they played the Raptors, I think it was the Raptors that they beat recently. They all went together as a team to play golf. Right? Like This team is just in a completely different stratosphere compared compared to last year, right? In the broadcast, uh, it shows uh, Jalen Brown on the bench while they're up 40. Zero emotion, hyper-focused, watching the game, just making sure that they get out of this game with no issues. And I was hearing a massive amount of Celtics fans in the Suns Arena chanting, let's go Celtics, let's go Celtics. And if you close your eyes... You'd think you're watching a a Celtics home game, right? This is in Phoenix, and the cheers are loud for Boston. It's crazy. It's crazy. Now, my last point about these Celtics before I end this episode that I've mentioned a bunch of times, right? Still no Robert Williams. You want to say I'm overhyping that? This is a guy sitting on your bench. Last season, second team all defense man like just the thought like i've said this on so many recent pods of when i bring up the celtics what is the league going to do when this guy when a second team all defense guy clearly uh one of the weaknesses for the celtics team right like like rim protection and it's like they don't lose a step and it's like they once they get this guy back and it's funny because I'm I'm listening to the broadcast um and they're also saying like hey you know and no robert williams they're they're killing the sons and no robert williams and then i i, I forgot like who was saying what right at this point um but one of them was saying you know hey but you know it's also like you know there's pros and cons to everything right like just because you throw in robert williams doesn't mean this team is going to be hyper better right like much better because it's like yeah you know you add him but then the ability to spread the floor kind of shrinks a little more right because al horford is a guy that can stretch the floor uh blake griffin technically stretches the floor um obviously uh, uh grant williams stretches the floor right so it's like you add robert williams it it does it could get a little clunkier but at the same time that's your rim protector like this is your 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 pick and roller like you're just an active guy like i said second team all defense you add this guy to this team I th- This is, I mean, like, the more I watch these Celtics, the more I see highlights, the more games I watch, the more I hear about them, I'm, like I said, I, I'm inclined to, to pick them. But I don't want to panic. I don't want to jump ship. I am on the Bucks train. I'm sticking on it. No matter what, you know, but I don't want to be ignorant and not mention the real threat right, for either conference, it's the Boston Celtics, this team, what, I mean, man, like, I, I, I can't say it enough, like, the, and it hurts me to say that, because I'm a Laker fan, but the Celtics are just, like, this is, this is different, man, this is different, this, I, I would be ignorant to say, all oh, the Bucks are gonna kill these guys, this is, this is, this is a scary series, right, if it happens, it's, you know, And like I said, if the Celtics get out of the East, I did say this on a prior pod, if the Celtics get out of the East, they will win the NBA Finals. I don't care who they play, and I'm stamping this from this early point in the season. No matter who they play, I don't care if they see the Warriors again somehow. Right? If the Warriors somehow make it to the Finals again. I don't care. I think that this year, if the Celtics can get out of the East, it's their year. Right? I mean, that's that's what I wanted to say. So, you know, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I wanted to show some love to the Memphis Grizzlies, show a little extra love to the Boston Celtics. I'm going to be watching a couple more games and I'll drop a couple more pods that way. Um, But I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Uh, This is the All Things Basketball podcast. I might drop an episode over the weekend if I do have the time for it. I'm going to do my best to do that. But I'm your host Vic Lopez as always, and I'll catch you guys on the next one.